I'm not sure how you guys could contain yourself from shouting amen on that. Uh, Thank you, musicians. It's been a sweet evening of worship and praise and singing together. Take your Bibles and open with me to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. And just a reminder, we're going to be coming to the table of communion uh, at the end of the service. And uh, you may be like me and you may have forgotten to get your communion elements. Now, honestly, I hope I never get used to this. Um, If you forgot to get them as I did uh, when I'm finished with the message and praying, we're going to sing again and you can slip over uh, to the door and pick up some elements uh, prior to us coming to the table. Revelation chapter 1, verse 8. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come. The Almighty. Would you bow with me? Our Father, we thank you for the hope of this day. Many of us, most of us, have been to a hospital room and seen a child born. And seen that hour old or day old child. And envision what a life might look like for that child. And it's a hopeful day. Oh, but there's no hope like the hope of the Christ child when He came. For He came as no child has ever come before. He lived a life that no man has ever lived before. He died a death and rose a resurrection that no one has ever lived before. He is right now experiencing something that no one else has ever experienced, even those in heaven, for He has your ear at your right hand, a singular place in heaven reserved for Him, a singular place seated next to you, having accomplished His priestly work on our behalf. Oh, and our day is hopeful not just because He has come, but He is coming again. There's our hope. Our hope is that He is going to come again and finish that which has begun. And it will be finished with all finality, accomplishing everything that you designed it in His coming to accomplish. Might that be our hope this evening? Might we rest in Him And in you, might our hearts be joyful this evening because Christ has come and He is coming back. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. In February of 1942, the American war against the Japanese in the Philippines was not going well. It was going so poorly that on March 12, 1942, President Roosevelt contacted General Douglas MacArthur and ordered him to leave the Philippines and to set up his base in Australia. MacArthur was reluctant to leave and in fact contemplated for a brief time that day resigning his commission and staying in the Philippines and fighting as an enlisted man. His advisors 
advised against that. And so on that evening, March 12th, 1942, MacArthur left the Philippines. About a week later, on March 20th, MacArthur gave his well-known speech in Adelaide in which he uttered this line which has become so famous, I came through and I shall return. That statement emboldened his staff, emboldened his soldiers, And they were confident that MacArthur would keep his promise and come back and save them, save the Philippines, save the war. In the weeks and months that followed, though, as MacArthur didn't return and the Japanese seemed to flourish and Americans continued to struggle in the war, having surrendered Bataan and Corregidor weeks after MacArthur left, His staff and the soldiers wondered, he made a promise, will he really return? That same question might be asked much more significantly of Jesus Christ. Yes, he came to earth 2,000 years ago, but he left. And he too promised to return. It has now been over 2,000 years since he left. Will he return? On what basis can we be confident that he will return? For two Sundays now, we've been looking at Revelation chapter 1 and the coming of Christ and the return of Christ. And this evening, as we turn our attention to Christmas morning, now only a few hours away, it's coming close, kids. I want us to think about the guarantee of his return. And our assurance that despite the amount of time that he has been gone, we know he's coming back. Our assurance is given in the same passage that we have been considering, Revelation chapter 1. We know that Christ will return because God has spoken and God has given his word. When I first recognized this passage two or three years ago as having Christmas implications, I was excited because I saw this passage and it just broke down so neatly in my mind. And and I saw verses 4 to 8 being all about Jesus. And 4, 5, and 6 about, or uh, yeah, 4, 5, and 6 about Jesus coming. Verse 7 about his return. And verse 8 about his imminent glory and his position and his personhood. It just was a great set of messages about the person of Christ and I was so excited. And then this year I started to study the passage and I realized I missed the point. Verse 8 isn't about Jesus. Verse 8 is about the Father. In fact, verse 8 parallels verse 4. And I think what John is doing is he's giving us some brackets around the person of Jesus Christ. And it is bracketed by his Father. So the story begins with the Father, verse 4, moves to Jesus in verses 5, 6, and 7, and then comes back to the Father in verse 8. And I wondered, I've got this great set of messages. What do I... What do I do? I can't twist it to say something it doesn't. And then I started thinking about it. And we have all the more confidence in Christ's return because, verse 8, is of the Father. Because 
It is the Father who has set His promise, His guarantee that His Son would return to complete His work. And so this evening, I want us to think not about the Son who is coming back, but about the Father who has guaranteed the Son's return. We're going to learn three things about the Father in this verse. First, we learn that God who sent and is sending His Son is the beginning and the end. So God says, the Father says in verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega. That pronoun, I, is emphatic. I and no one else. There is no one that can say about themselves, I am the Alpha, I am the Omega. In fact, this, this phrase is used only three times in the Scriptures, all three times in this book, here in chapter 1, again in chapter 21, and then in chapter 22. There are similar expressions like it, like the first and the last. And similar phrases are used in the Old Testament about God the Father as well. Isaiah 41, Isaiah 43, 44, and 48. Now the phrase obviously refers to God's eternality and His infinitude. So at the beginning I was, at the end I still am. But it also refers to His transcendence. God is supreme over all and greater than all. He is the absolute source of all creation and history, says one writer. Nothing lies outside of Him. He is the A to Z of life. He is the Lord God of all. God's existence beyond the beginning and ending of all things affirms that we can trust what He has promised about His Son. We can trust that our salvation will be secured. But it also means that God and Christ themselves are the start and finish of life. God begins life with creation and He sustains life all through death. He makes all people and all things and He will take all people into eternity. He will righteously judge all men and He will sovereignly rule over heaven and hell. And because God is the source of all life, the originator, sustainer, and end of all life, it also means that He is the goal and the purpose of all life. All things have been created by Him and for Him. And thus we always have as our goal to live for Him. Because we will live for Him in heaven, we live for Him now on earth. Because we will live for Him in heaven, we live for Him now on earth. Anything else will disappoint you. Christmas morning will inevitably disappoint you. Relationships will disappoint you. Health will disappoint you. Finances will disappoint you. Achievement, success, status will disappoint you. Christ will never disappoint you. Brothers and sisters, Christmas and the promise of Christ's soon return to judge and rule 
are reminders to us that only one thing counts in life. And that's Christ. You know that. We talk about that all the time. We talk about living for the glory of God. We talk about seeking our refuge in Him. We talk about pursuing Christ as our treasure. We want the happiness that can only be found in Jesus Christ. But friends, it really is true that God is the beginning and ending of all things. There is no one else and there is nothing else. Do you really live that way? As if that is true? Do you want Him more than any other treasure? Do you want Him more than anything else? And the second thing we learn about God who made the promises about the coming and return of Christ is that God who sent and is sending His Son is sovereign God. He is sovereign God. The one who is the beginning and end, the one who is the Alpha and Omega, the one who says that, notice the text, is the Lord God. That phrase is commonly used in the Old Testament. It's used more than 550 times in the Old Testament to refer to our God. Interestingly, Ezekiel accounts for more than 200 of those usages. And I think what John is doing with this phrase is he is identifying what he is saying about Christ and about the Father with the Old Testament message that the one who revealed himself through the prophets is speaking again. And he is speaking as one who is Lord, master, powerful, sovereign, authoritative. He is sovereign. He's obviously sovereign over us. One of the blessings of 2020 is that we have learned, I am not sovereign. Terry is not sovereign. You are not sovereign. You cannot dictate, you cannot know, you cannot order your world. There is one who is sovereign. And he is sovereign to accomplish and bring about every single thing he has decreed, including, John would have us to particularly understand, the return of his son. The one who speaks these things is the Lord. He is also the one, notice our text, verse 8, who is, who was, who is to come. Here we see his transcendence, his sovereignty, his lordship in three dimensions. He is, that is, he currently exists as sovereign Lord over all. He also was, he has always existed in the past and eternally beyond as the one who is sovereign. And he is to come. He will always exist eternally as sovereign God. So to say that he always existed and will always exist is also to say that everything is sourced in him. The Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 17 uses God's self-sufficiency, His being the source of all things, to explain the quote, In Him we live and move and exist. So this phrase, 
I am, I was, I am to come, means that God is infinite in relation to time, but it also infers that He is infinite in relationship to sufficiency. He is infinitely sufficient and capable to bring about the return of His Son. There is no possible circumstance that can thwart Christ's return. He is coming back. He promised. He promised to send him the first time. And in that very same way, he has the same infinite power at his disposal to send him the second time, and he will. One pastor summarizes this verse this way God is always and eternal, everlasting and almighty. And there is no escaping him. By giving his solemn self-attestation to what John has written, the Father is verifying its truthfulness. Nothing has been overlooked or unexamined by him. Nothing was before him and nothing will outlast him. What he declares to be true is certain to be inerrant, infallible, authoritative, reliable, totally true, and trustworthy. You can trust the book of Revelation. You can trust the Bible. You can trust God. Christ is coming back. The sovereign king has acted for us by sending the Son. He'll come again. So whatever today is provoking you to be fearful, anxious, worried, distressed. Know that God is the Lord. And He will send His Son to fix it. The final thing we learn about God in this passage is the God who sent and is sending His Son, is omnipotent. Notice the very last part of this verse. He is the Almighty. God declares that He alone is the Almighty. This word appears, this title, name, appears only ten times in the New Testament and only once outside of the book of Revelation. And it is always used Always in reference to God. There is no one else and nothing else that is almighty. Only God. This is a title that refers to God's omnipotent rule and authority. It is comparable to the Old Testament title El Shaddai, God Almighty, or Lord of Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. He is Power beyond power. He is the master of all armies. He is first in power and authority. One writer has said that there is no name of God that is greater than this name, the Almighty. Because He is Almighty means that no one can resist Him, no one can undermine Him, no one can act apart from His will. He controlled the events of the world when Christ came. And it is no strain on His power 
to orchestrate the events that will culminate in the return of Christ and Christ sitting on his everlasting throne. This is such great hope for us when we are suffering, when we are oppressed, when we're discouraged, that the one we serve is not overwhelmed by circumstances on earth. He overwhelms and he will overwhelm finally all of the difficulties on earth and all of the sin and all of the death and he will reign as sovereign and gracious king. I've said many times over the years and many, many times in 2020, I don't need to be anxious because I've read the end of the book and I know who wins. And brothers and sisters, this is the end of the book. The Lord God Almighty is sending back His Son. I am the Alpha Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty No one else is Alpha God. No one else has begun anything by themselves. They have all been begun by God's hand. No one else is Lord. There is only one who is Master. No one else is Almighty. In fact, no one else is even Mighty, never mind Almighty. The most powerful man in the world physically or politically is weak, dependent, frail, broken before Almighty God. God who sent and is sending His Son is omnipotent. He is winning. In December of 2020, God is winning. And He has won, in fact. And He will always win. And the Son He sends will sit on His throne. General MacArthur left the Philippines in March of 1942. And on the afternoon of October 20, 1944, two and a half years later, MacArthur walked onto the beach of Leyte in the Philippines. And while the Japanese would not be completely defeated for another nine to ten months, the end was in sight. And in a speech that afternoon, he said this, People of the Philippines... I have returned. By the grace of Almighty God, our forces stand again on Philippine soil, soil consecrated in the blood of our two peoples. We have come dedicated and committed to the task of destroying every vestige of enemy control over your daily lives and restoring upon a foundation of indestructible strength the liberties of your people. In an infinitely greater way, Almighty God has revealed and is keeping His promise about the return of His Son. Christ has come as a child to live the righteous life we could not live, to die a righteous life we could not die, to die in our place as our righteous substitute taking God's wrath against our sin. And He now reigns in heaven next to the Father, His Father, and our Father, and He is coming again. The God who sent Him, the God who is beyond all things, 
the God who is eternal in heaven, the God who is omnipotent in heaven and on earth has promised it and His promise secures it. In this world, we have tribulation. But Christ has overcome and He is coming back for us. The Father has sent His Son. That's Christmas Day. And He is sending Him again. We are safe. We are safe in the arms of the Savior who came. We're safe in the arms of the Savior who is coming. And the Father who promised to send His Son. Our Father, we thank You for the reminder of this passage. We need this reminder We always need this reminder. In 2020, we really need it. And we thank you that we are safe. So much around us in the world feels unsafe today. But in Christ, if indeed we are in Him, we are safe. Would you make us to rest in that today as we remember the one who came and the one who is coming? Christ child, God-man, victorious King. In His name we pray. Amen.